You're listening to the Fertility Academy podcast, episode 12. Today, my guest is Dr. Jenna Miller, and we're going to talk about unexplained infertility. This might help you find some clarity around your fertility struggles, so stay tuned. Welcome to Fertility Academy, a podcast where we provide you with information and tools to help you optimize your fertility to grow your family no matter where you are in your fertility journey. We offer interesting, creative, and evidence-based information and give you practical tools to help you get closer to your goal of building a family. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. I'm a fertility-focused acupuncturist and Chinese medicine practitioner, board-certified fertility specialist and fertility coach with over 10 years of experience helping my patients build their families. I'm so glad you're here with us. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Michelle Kapler. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Jenna Miller, who's one of the incredible naturopathic doctors that I have the pleasure of working with at my clinic, the Toronto Reproductive Acupuncture Clinic. We're going to be diving into a topic that's mysterious and frustrating, unexplained infertility. Today, we talk about what is unexplained fertility and what does that mean? How was somebody diagnosed with unexplained infertility? What are some of the most common underlying causes of unexplained infertility? What types of treatments are typically offered to people with an unexplained infertility diagnosis? How a naturopathic doctor assesses and treats unexplained infertility? And Dr. Jenna shares some good advice for people who have just received an unexplained infertility diagnosis. Before I play the interview, I wanna offer Dr. Jenna's bio. Dr. Jenna Miller is a naturopathic doctor with a passion for co-creating the health of weird, wild, and badass women. Focusing strongly on fertility and menstrual health, Dr. Jenna understands that women are not simply small men and is resolute in her belief that you deserve more than just a one-size-fits-all approach. Dr. Jenna provides a female-centered healthcare model that empowers women and allows them to feel safe and heard while working through their health and fertility concerns in a sustainable way. Dr. Jenna graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine with a special interest in fertility and reproductive health, as well as a passion for teaching women how to connect with the shifting tides of their own bodies. While finishing her degree, Dr. Jenna completed additional training through fertility and reproductive health focus internship, where she learned how to support couples and individuals from preconception all the way through to pregnancy. So without further delay, let's play my interview with Dr. Jenna Miller. All right. So welcome, Dr. Jenna. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I've already told them a little bit about you in my introduction, but if you could go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you do and what it is that you do, that'd be great. Yeah. So I guess the easiest way to start off with explaining what I do is just by saying that like, I'm a naturopathic doctor. So that means I support individuals through their healthcare journey by providing an individualized and holistic uh, care framework for them with a focus on addressing the root cause of their concerns. So for those who aren't familiar with naturopathic medicine, my approach is similar to your family doctor in that I'm able to run blood work, perform physical exams, things of that nature. But the way that I treat things is vastly different. So whereas your family doctor may prescribe medications, uh, naturopathic doctors use nutritional and herbal supports or acupuncture or lifestyle medicine to achieve uh, balance and health. And so when I look at like where I've gotten to or how I've gotten to where I am today in terms of treating fertility and working in menstrual health, um, I've not gone through my own fertility struggles per se, but I deeply resonate with the idea that uh, women should be able to understand their own bodies uh, and be able to advocate for themselves in the context of their own health care. 
And so my practice is really deeply rooted in, in feminist principles. And a huge piece of that is body autonomy and body sovereignty. So knowing and understanding how our body works uh, and understanding that our fertility is a really big part of that as well. So we can play an active role in our own healthcare by understanding those things. Um, I don't think any health concerns really reflect this problem more or like this disconnect from how our body works than unexplained infertility, which is why I'm really excited to talk about like this concept and this uh, specific topic today. Unexplained infertility kind of like paints our body as this like unknowable thing, this thing that's too complex for us to understand. Um, and while there are definitely still many things that we don't know about the body infertility, I think the healthcare system as it exists today uh, avoids teaching women about their own bodies and fertility. And without this knowledge, it makes it really impossible for women to advocate for proper care and thorough assessment in a fertility clinic setting. That's an excellent explanation. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for saying that. That's great. I think that it brings up a really important uh, conversation uh, that can get huge and vast. Um, but the fact that body literacy, especially for women in our culture, just isn't prioritized, especially in our formative years. And that results in a disconnect, especially um, within the fact that the conventional medical system is really put on a pedestal as the be all end all in terms of solutions. And so when we can't get answers from that lens through which we look at the body, we can look to other models and other lenses, which is why I think that Chinese medicine and naturopathic medicine is so applicable in the context of unexplained infertility, because we have a different way of assessing the body and a different way of looking at the body and a different way of um, educating people on their body. So I'm really excited to talk to you about that today. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I would say as well, something about like traditional Chinese medicine and naturopathic medicine is like the depth that we can go into like a full health discussion with patients. And so being able to identify sort of the root cause of your concerns does require like some time and some careful questioning in place. And I think that's really where naturopathic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine can fill in the gaps in care for individuals, especially for those who experience unexplained infertility. Um, diving a little bit deeper and being a health detective is so important in the context of this specific concern. Absolutely. And I think also the ability to look at things through a more subtle lens, because when you're looking at medical tests and uh, those types of assessments, you're looking at a scope and a scale that requires you to be a certain level of sick in order to even have results show up on those tests. And so the nice thing about naturopathic medicine and, and TCM or Chinese medicine is that we can look at the more subtle symptoms. In Chinese medicine, we often say that it's a lot of little things that add up to a big thing, but nothing that would necessarily show up on a blood test or an ultrasound. But we're able to look at things um, kind of before they become bigger things, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with that. So tell us a little bit more about unexplained infertility. What does having a diagnosis of unexplained fertility actually mean? Mm -hmm. So I think the like the first thing to sort of broach here in the concept of unexplained infertility is that knowing that it's a diagnosis of exclusion, which basically means you have to rule out like literally all other potential causes of infertility in, in both partners um, before we can come to that conclusion. So oftentimes there's sort of like a provisional diagnosis of unexplained infertility made for individuals if their initial fertility assessment comes back 
as normal. And and so depending on like your listeners today, like depending on where they're at in their fertility process, they could be like just starting the journey or they could be already working with a fertility clinic. And I think the easiest way to go through how one reaches a diagnosis of unexplained infertility is to first like define what infertility is. Cause I, I think a lot of people don't even know that to begin with, and that can be really helpful. So Infertility itself um, is defined as the inability to achieve clinical pregnancy uh, after 12 months of like regular unprotected intercourse uh, for those who are younger than age 35, and then six months of the same for those who are over 35. And then unexplained infertility is the absence of identifiable causes for this infertility, like after having gone through that process um, and after having had some initial diagnostic uh, assessment done. So the diagnostic testing as of right now to meet the definition of unexplained infertility, and this is sort of the assessment that's most commonly explained in like the fertility research and fertility literature is really only based on the presence of like three important things. And so that is the presence of normal ovulatory function. So in the partners with like eggs and ovaries, like are they ovulating on a regular basis? Uh, Do you have a normal semen analysis for partner with sperm? Uh, And I think there's a bit of a variance in what's considered like normal semen analysis as well, but that can be something we chat a little bit about later. And then the last piece of that initial assessment is having at least one patent or open fallopian tube. And based off of just those three criteria, so if you try to conceive, you've had that initial workup done, everything comes back as normal based off of those three foundational things, um, it's estimated that around 30 to 50% or as many as 30 to 50% of couples presenting for fertility evaluation have unexplained infertility based on that criteria alone. Which is a lot. That's that's a lot of people. Not insignificant. (laughs) Considering uh, most people go to fertility clinics to sort of like get some answers, like thinking about half of those individuals going through that process won't really have any more answers than they did going into the process. That can be so frustrating. Absolutely. Because if you go to a fertility clinic and you're one of these people who's been trying for, you know, 12 months, if you're under 35 and six months, if you're over 35 and you're going to get these answers, if something comes up in those diagnostic tests, at least there might be treatment that they're able to offer you in response Mm -hmm. to whatever's Mm -hmm. going on. So if the fallopian tubes are blocked, they might be able to provide solutions to help with that. If the sperm function isn't normal, they may be able to help with that. Um, Although I would, I would venture to say that um, perhaps allied health professionals might be better, uh, not, not to say better, but, um, you know, more efficient and more holistic at improving sperm and semen analysis parameters. Um, but yeah, 30 to 50% is a lot of people who go to fertility clinic to essentially get treatment. And the doctor basically just says, yep, yeah, we, we got nothing. There's, <laughs> there's nothing here on the tests. <laughs> Yeah. And especially because the timeline is so, so drawn out sometimes before that initial referral goes through and that initial assessment happens. Yeah. People, people are often frustrated and sort of want more answers than just saying that we, we have no answers or we don't know as of yet. Um, I, I always tell patients and I think it kind of helps to, to mention that having a diagnosis of unexplained infertility, like doesn't necessarily mean that there's no cause or reason. It just means that we haven't found that cause or reason yet. And sometimes kind of like you mentioned, it's because current medical research or current assessment is limited. So we don't have assessments in place to be able to um, assess for your specific cause of infertility. Um, But often it also just means that we haven't like done the right testing yet, or we haven't dug deep enough, or we haven't had the right testing done as of yet. 
So what you're saying is that if somebody goes to a fertility clinic and they're diagnosed with unexplained infertility, in which case the physician will usually put them through some kind of um, protocol-based treatment. So they might start with IUIs because it's less invasive and then might move to IVF in some clinics, in fact, uh, recommend IVF right away when they're unexplained. But what you're saying, I think, is that there might be further testing that somebody could do with, say, a naturopathic doctor like you. Am I correct? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I I always like to mention, so that's the thing, fertility clinics sometimes aren't always as concerned um, in terms of identifying the underlying cause of the unexplained infertility because it won't necessarily change their treatment trajectory. So they have like a few options to offer in terms of treatment. And so that goes um, as low intervention for unexplained infertility as just expectant management, which is just like, keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) Like keep trying to conceive at home, keep tracking for ovulation, come back to us in a few months and we'll take things from there. Or as sort of high level intervention as IVF. And I would say it's becoming a bit more common for um, couples with unexplained infertility to move towards IVF faster. Uh, just because of the fact that it does have some of the higher success rates. And it also can be diagnostic for some of the underlying causes of unexplained infertility, like egg quality, for example. It can tell us a bit more about that. Um, And so, yeah, like naturopathic medicine can definitely... Is it's more important for us to identify some of the underlying causes because the treatments that I'm able to provide are going to be very much dictated on the underlying cause or the root cause. So if we find out that the underlying cause for you is related to endometriosis, we're going to be a bit more targeted towards the underlying pieces of that um, and make sure that your IVF success rates are as good as as high as possible. Let's say um, because that's not that's not something that fertility clinics essentially have varied tools and their toolkits to be able to offer patients. Right. And so what are some of the possible explanations for unexplained fertility that you would commonly see in your practice? And how would you mm-hmm. assess for these issues? Yeah. So uh, to be honest, there are s- lots of causes, like lots of potential explanations for why unexplained or what may be contributing to unexplained infertility. So I would say that there are three that sort of keep returning in my practice and ones that I see most commonly. It's by no means, by no means are these three an exhaustive list of all potential causes of unexplained infertility, or I guess as of yet undiagnosed infertility. But I would say the three most common that I see would be Uh, egg quality issues, so like poor egg quality, um, endometriosis, and then high or abnormal sperm DNA fragmentation. So we can maybe like dive a little bit deeper into one of those first, if you'd like. Yeah, I want to talk about sperm and semen analysis later for sure. But let's talk a little bit about the egg quality and the, the uterine side of things first. Mm-hmm. I think egg quality is like a huge piece of things. And I'm sure you see this a lot in, in your practice and seeing your patients as well. Um, oftentimes, yeah, I would say like a lot of unexplained infertility cases end up having some like egg quality plays at least some role. It's a huge one because mostly like as of yet, there's no way to really directly assess for egg quality without going through the IVF process. And sometimes even even after that process, depending on the testing that's being done. So the initial fertility workup looks at whether eggs are present. <laughs> it looks at whether they're actually being released or ovulated. But the assessment for egg quality um, can only really be done by watching how individuals respond to an IVF cycle. And when going through IVF, um, we can really closely assess for embryo quality using additional testing. So some fertility clinics will suggest doing something called 
pre-implantation genetic screening or genetic testing. And this can tell us a lot about the embryo quality, which is 50% the genetic material of the sperm and 50% the genetic material of the egg culminating together in um, like a new structure, which is the embryo. Uh, and the embryo quality that plays a pretty significant role in its viability or likelihood to implant uh, and to stay implanted. The only thing is, is this, this additional genetic testing is an additional cost to people. And, and oftentimes it's not always like a first line, um, first line assessment or a first line consideration from a fertility clinic. So it might not even be something that you would have gone through during like a first IVF cycle. Um, I think the truth of the matter is that past age 35 for the partner with eggs um, and for those who have ovaries, like egg, egg quality does begin to decline rapidly. And the poorer the quality of the egg, the, the less likely it is to be fertilized by the sperm and the less likely it is to result in a healthy embryo that can implant and stay implanted, resulting in a healthy pregnancy. Um, and egg quality is largely impacted by age. So even though you may have had testing done to assess for the appropriate number or the amount of eggs, so like ovarian reserve testing, most people will, that term will sound familiar to them. The quality can still be impacted. So sometimes fertility clinics will say like, your ovarian reserve is good. Um, we think you're going to respond really well to IVF based off of that. But that truly doesn't encompass egg quality, um, which is makes things really difficult. <laughs> and I think that the the one of the tough parts is that when egg quality is an issue with uh, and and you're going about treatment in the context of a a mainstream medical uh, IVF clinic is that you know the egg quality piece is discovered through IVF as diagnosis and so the only real solution is to get enough embryos to be able to test them and then from those embryos be able to find genetically viable embryos but that's not it's not necessarily actually doing anything to address the underlying cause which is something that naturopaths do quite brilliantly so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I was going to say, so with poor egg quality, like naturopathic medicine can be so, so helpful here because IVF and IUI can't impact egg quality. And I think that's something fertility clinics are like very clear about. You can increase the number of eggs that are being produced and you can retrieve those eggs and potentially fertilize them. Um, but you can't impact the quality of those. There is, however, like a very significant body of research that looks at um, like in underlying nutritional and supplemental support that can have an impact. So for example, studies have looked at the role of mitochondrial dysfunction, um, declines in telomere lengths, so sort of like the, the chromosomal capacity of the egg, uh, oxidative stress, um, and all of those, how they play a role in not only ovarian reserve, but also egg quality. And these are all factors that naturopathic doctors have the tools to address quite readily. So using nutritional support, uh, making sure that like we're upping antioxidant intake via diet, and then taking a look at um, key supplemental supports to promote egg quality as well. I think fertility clinics are like kind of starting to get on track with this. Like I do see a lot of clinics recommending uh, CoQ10 supplementation. So like we're getting there. They're like catching up <laughs> with naturopathic doctors. But I would also say CoQ10 is like not the be all end all. People will say like I'm working on egg quality because I'm taking CoQ10. Um, but that's not the only option we have. And oftentimes we can sort of combine different treatments together to get better effects than just CoQ10 on its own. <laughs> For sure. And the combinations that you would use, I would assume would depend 
almost entirely on the individual's health picture and a detailed assessment would be required in order to put together a custom made and a tailored treatment plan for that person in order to get the best. And I think the other aspect to consider is that not all supplements are created equally. So the stuff you order on Amazon is going to be vastly different in the speed and efficiency and effectiveness of that supplement versus something that you would get from your naturopathic doctor. Absolutely. Yeah. So the the supplementation absolutely has to be individualized. Like I think that that definitely goes um, goes along with the underlying principles of naturopathic medicine. Like we need to know more about you and all of the all of the aspects of your healthcare plan that make up you. So we talk about nutrition, we talk about sleep and energy and how all of those may may play a role in egg quality as well. Um, and choosing supplementation based off of those. So yes, I would say individualized care and going through a thorough intake is important. And then, yeah, making sure you're not just spending tons of money on supplements that aren't really effective. Because <laughs> I see that happening for a lot of people. You kind of like read what's going on in all of the fertility forums. Someone suggests you take a supplement. And so you search it up on Google or Amazon and you find like the cheapest option. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the most effective option. And that's where naturopathic doctors um, play a really important ro role as well, is making sure you're not only taking the right supplements, but the supplements that are going to be the most effective. And that's going to depend on dosing and sourcing um, and things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about endometriosis. Tell us a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. So endometriosis, I think, is also like a little bit mysterious in and of itself. So for those who aren't familiar, um, endometriosis is a pelvic condition, uh, but it is characterized by quite severe menstrual cramps and often infertility. Uh, and it's essentially when the inner lining of the uterus or the endometrium, for various reasons, like usually inflammatory and potentially immunological reasons, this endometrial lining like exists outside of the uterus, where it can adhere to other structures in the pelvic bowl, uh, like the ovaries or the bladder or the bowels. Um, and while some people have very severe symptoms, and some of those would be like pain during periods, pain during sex or bowel movements, uh, bleeding between periods. Some people also have relatively mild symptoms. And the only noticeable factor that hints towards a diagnosis of endometriosis is the fact that they struggle with fertility. So it can be really difficult to diagnose based off of symptoms alone. But also the gold standard assessment um, is also not really routine, especially when working with a fertility clinic or even with and like an even with a family doctor or a gynecologist. Uh, the only definitive test for endometriosis as of right now is a pretty invasive um, like abdominal surgery called a laparoscopy, um, where they essentially do sort of like a keyhole surgery into the abdomen and they use like a little um, like a little camera to sort of visualize the pelvic bowl and see if that endometrial lining is existing outside of the uterus. And then during that process, they'll typically also surgically remove that tissue. Um, but it's easy to understand why that's not like typically included um, in an initial fertility workup for all individuals. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, I mean, it's important to to recognize that we're working within the context of Ontario. Um, and, you know, our healthcare system may differ from some healthcare systems of some of our listeners. But I, I'm under the impression that the wait list for that kind of diagnostic surgery mm -hmm. here in Ontario, where we work is close to two years. And a lot of people don't have two years to wait. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when we also consider that 
like unexplained infertility can be layered. And I think you mentioned earlier that sometimes it's a bunch of like small things coming together. So if we're thinking about waiting two years and maybe we're also concerned about egg quality alongside endometriosis, yeah, those two years can have a pretty significant impact on your fertility journey. For sure. And so how would you as a naturopathic doctor assess and potentially treat endometriosis? So I think what's quite helpful here is that for for endometriosis, like a big piece of this is the clinical interview. So actually like sitting down and taking time to go through your full menstrual cycle history and make a note of all of your menstrual cycle symptoms and how those have shifted over time. Um, so for for endometriosis, truly getting a chance to sit down with a practitioner that has like more than 10 to 15 minutes to spend with you can be really helpful in increasing our clinical suspicion for endometriosis. So the presence of some of those symptoms that I talked about, um, like severe menstrual pain, um, getting similar cramping during sex or bowel movements can be really indicative of endometriosis, uh, bleeding between periods, all of the, those pieces can be very helpful. Um, and oftentimes we'll from a naturopathic perspective, and even from a conventional care perspective, we sometimes have to treat endometriosis or assume endometriosis is the case based off of clinical suspicion if we've not been able to, to diagnose that specifically via laparoscopy yet. So based off of like symptom history taking, I'll often treat it based off of that that piece of things. So, so people do have a lot of the symptoms of endometriosis. If their pelvic pain is getting worse over time, if they also experience uh, fertility struggles, that's usually a good time for us to, to think about working on the inflammation management piece. And so endometriosis does cause like quite significant inflammation uh, in and around the uterus, which can impact like sperm and egg interactions, as well as implantation into the endometrial lining. So naturopathic goals are going to be specifically working on those, like making sure we're reducing inflammation to allow some of those processes to happen more naturally. Um, and I like to look at some anti-inflammatory and supplements that are going to play nicely uh, with people's fertility treatments as well, because there are a lot that don't. Um, and that's always a big goal of mine is to make sure that everything you're we're doing together is going to play nicely with your conventional fertility treatment. Um, and then also, I really like acupuncture for endometriosis. Um, and I'm sure that's something you're very well informed about. Um, but acupuncture can be really helpful for like reducing inflammation, but also helping to support um, some of those more key components of endometriosis. So reducing inflammation, supporting pelvic blood flow and implantation when that needs to happen. Um, and then looking at the, the nutritional, uh, nutritional piece to reduce inflammation as well. So looking at potential like big um, um, inflammatory triggers for some individuals with endometriosis, and that would be individualized to that specific person. Of course, of course, as always. And so let's talk about sperm and semen. I've, I've talked about it lightly in a few episodes before, um, but I think it's really interesting to layer not only the fact that semen analysis parameters have significantly declined in the last few decades and the World Health Organization has kind of adjusted the parameters accordingly. So what used to be considered low is now considered normal just because of that significant decline. But there's also a lot of cultural factors in play in the fact that infertility tends to be looked at as the responsibility of the person with the ovaries and the uterus. And that tends to be problematic because we have a lot of trouble getting the people with the sperm to come in and get treatment. And that's tough when it's actually, you know, that contributions factor. Absolutely. I, I feel like I see this all the time. Like luckily many, many partners with sperm, um, 
yeah, are like willing to have a discussion and willing to have um, like be involved in the process. Because I think sometimes even when semen analysis parameters come back as as abnormal, um, I think sometimes the partners with sperm kind of feel like they yeah, play like a secondary role in the fertility process. Like all of the treatment is typically like done to the partner with eggs. Um, the, the partner with sperm really just like provides a sample and that's like all their ongoing involvement in the fertility process. Um, so that can kind of like be an interesting piece of things. I think when I get a chance to sit down and, and go through sort of like a treatment plan and do an intake for partners with sperm, they kind of like, I think they enjoy just like being involved a little bit more and having some of their questions answered um, and how the discussion is very much like one-on-one as opposed to them kind of getting all of the information like secondhand from their partner with the eggs or ovaries. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think we, we've mostly very much focused on the partner with eggs here, but the partner with sperm can play like a, very equally important, if not more important role um, in unexplained infertility in particular. And like you mentioned, just because the partner with sperm meets the minimum requirements in terms of sperm health um, doesn't mean that they have no role to play. So suboptimal levels on semen analysis are not often often flagged by fertility clinics. So the reference range is like quite wide. And so individuals with sperm, their numbers might be like slightly above the lower end of the reference range. Um, and that will not be flagged by the fertility clinic. They'll be like, looks good. We're just going to keep on moving forward with treatment. Um, but if sperm health is improved to the optimal range, it can significantly support a shorter time to pregnancy. And I, I often explain to individuals when it comes to sperm health, like the sky is very much the limit, like the higher the numbers, the better for a lot of these things. Uh, and so we don't necessarily want to be settling for like slightly above normal. <laughs> we want to be looking at optimal here. So would you say that it's prudent for people to endeavor to improve semen analysis parameters, even if they have been told by the fertility clinic that it's within the normal range? Would you say that it's ever to, to a person's disadvantage to, to work on this? Mm hmm. I would say, so I'm always like curious to actually look at people's semen analysis first um, and actually seeing where their numbers are because oftentimes, yes, fertility clinics sometimes will say like your semen analysis was normal. We're not dealing with any sperm health issues. Um, but there's a vast difference between your numbers being like mid of the range of normal and on the low end of the range of normal. And I think it's helpful to support sperm health regardless, yes, because a lot of the things that support sperm health are also working towards improving overall health. So sperm sperm is very sensitive to things like antioxidant intake, which is largely impacted by like physical activity and fruit and vegetable intake and things of that nature. And I think we can kind of look at sperm health as um, like a surrogate marker for overall health. If there's a decline in sperm in whatever parameter, either motility or count or DNA fragment, Fragmentation, um, that kind of gives us an indication that something's impacting like overall health as well. And it's not a bad idea for us to optimize those markers by improving overall health, overall health, um, like habits, let's say. Right, that makes sense. And so how would you advise people to have this conversation with their fertility clinic? Or would you think, do you think it's better just to consult with a naturopathic doctor instead, or maybe both? Yeah, I honestly think both. Like when we look at... Uh, supporting fertility for individuals who are moving through this process. I think naturopathic doctors and fertility clinics both have equally important roles to play, but different roles. Um, so I think if we're looking to work towards advocating for yourself in the context of a fertility clinic setting, I do think that's when working with a naturopathic doctor 
especially with additional training in fertility, can really be invaluable. Um, so with my patients who are moving through the fertility clinic process and maybe have a preliminary diagnosis of unexplained infertility, um, one of the first things that we'll do together as part of their treatment plan um, is perform a release of records request to the fertility clinic. So actually like request physically all of their records. So all of their semen analysis, all of their blood work, all of the imaging that's been done, asking for a full copy of their entire fertility workup. And then we take the time to actually like review it together, which I think um, fertility clients don't always get the time or the opportunity to do. They may mention the most relevant pieces of your fertility workup. Um, but oftentimes, especially if you have unexplained infertility and all of those tests are coming back as like quote unquote normal, um, they're not really discussed. And so people often feel sort of like disconnected and uninformed about their own infer their own fertility uh, and their own care because you don't really understand what you've even had tested or been tested for in the first place. Uh, and I, so I think that being able to discuss what's already been assessed with the fertility clinic um, and being able to talk about what additional testing we might want to pursue together um, can be really important. Uh, I think oftentimes the fertility clinic setting is very like overwhelming and a bit of a whirlwind for individuals uh, and your appointments with the fertility doctor while invaluable like don't often really involve a thorough review of the blood work um, and so working with a working with a naturopathic doctor can you can absolutely like review your full file and make sure that we're testing some of the additional pieces that might be missing um, and talk about how we can do that together. I really think like knowledge is power in the context of advocating for yourself uh, in a fertility setting. So if we haven't had a chance to really understand your file, like how can we know what additional things we even need to assess for and what things you need to be asking your fertility clinic for? And so I think that can be a helpful piece of working with a naturopathic doctor and actually mm, reviewing and understanding your fertility workup thus far. That's really good advice. And um, do you have any advice for folks who might not have the access or the means to consult with a naturopathic doctor? Any, and, and if they are diagnosed with unexplained infertility, do you have any advice for them to advocate for additional assessments within their fertility clinic? Yeah, I would say first and foremost, it is actually getting a, like a hold of your own fertility file. So sometimes even like paying out of pocket um, in terms of like the financial constraints, like actually getting a copy of your initial fertility workup can be a really important piece there. And so instead of going to your fertility doctor and saying, I want to be tested for everything, uh, because there are financial constraints to that from the fertility clinic's perspective as well, getting your fertility workup, having a chance to even go through it on your own, which, which can be a bit of a challenge um, because you're not always going to understand all of the assessments that you've had done. But even just getting a chance to look through your own file, see what you've been tested for, um, and then specifically requesting additional testing based off of that initial workup can be helpful. So I think the best way for individuals who may not have the finances to be able to see a naturopathic doctor um, to be able to advocate for some additional testing through their fertility clinic would, first of all, to be getting a copy of their own fertility clinic file. And that's something most fertility clinics are very, very open to doing for you. Sometimes there will be like a small printing fee associated with getting your file, but we can only really move forward with advocating for additional workup or additional testing if you know what you've already been assessed for. I think most fertility clinics are much more open to um, 
pursuing further workup if you ask for specific tests. And so instead of being, I want to be assessed for all potential causes of fertility issues, if you specifically mention some of your concerns, like if you say, I have really severe pelvic pain or menstrual cramps, and I want to have some additional assessment um, for endometriosis, I think fertility clinics are more than more than open to pursuing that. Um, and that would be in a context that's usually covered via, via OHIP or um, is at least like not as much out of pocket for you, I think that can be a helpful piece of things. Not necessarily asking for all potential testing, but being a little bit more targeted in what you're asking for. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about what the naturopathic medicine experience would be um, for somebody that's dealing with this diagnosis. So somebody goes to the fertility clinic, they've been trying for 12 months, they're under 35, and their doctor says, yep, yeah, we didn't find anything wrong with you unexplained infertility. So what would it look like when the patient comes to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what's interesting to note here is that when we kind of mentioned this previously is naturopathic medicine is very much interested in finding out the underlying cause of your fertility issues. Um, very often like conventional care, a little bit less so because they're, it's not going to necessarily change their treatment plan. Um, and so what I'll make sure we're doing is taking a thorough clinical history, making sure that you have actually had some more thorough assessment done. Um, and so if you're sort of in the process of even before working with a fertility clinic, even, because I think some people get to that point, they have been referred to a fertility clinic by their family doctor, and they're not quite ready to go that route, maybe. What I'll usually advocate for in that scenario is getting some testing done sooner rather than later. So even if you're not ready to move forward with the fertility clinic for additional um, workup or assessment or treatment from their perspective, working with a naturopathic doctor just to get that initial blood work assessment can be really helpful. So while we can't requisition um, imaging, so we can't requisition ultrasound assessments or cycle monitoring, we can take a pretty thorough look at baseline hormonal function testing. We can requisition semen analysis. And so having that initial workup done can sort of expedite the process when working with the fertility clinic or also begin to identify like underlying causes before you even do work with the fertility clinic. And then if you are working with the fertility clinic, you've had that initial assessment done. Um, naturopathic doctors, and I think where I fill in a lot of gaps for patients is by, yeah, like suggesting additional assessment. And that can either be done through me, something I can requisition. I find I do a lot of testing for like thyroid function, which sometimes isn't always tested for with fertility clinics. Or we'll test things like vitamin D levels. Um, or we'll dive a little bit deeper into optimizing current parameters on semen analysis, even though fertility clinics may not consider that um, one of the main underlying causes for you. Um, and so from the way that we were able to approach that, like naturopathic medicine is usually multi-pronged in its approach. So we're not necessarily recommending like just one thing for one concern. Um, it's very much addressing the root cause of concerns. Uh, and so that will often include a combination of nutritional recommendations, um, sometimes like lifestyle recommendations, and then, uh, herbal or nutritional supplement supports and, and acupuncture. So I find I do use nutrition and supplementation a lot to specifically work on like oxidative stress, uh, making sure that we're improving egg quality or sperm quality for a lot of individuals. And then 
additional care beyond that is very individualized to the person in front of me. So if we think that maybe they have poor pelvic blood flow, we'll work a little bit more on that or supporting uterine lining health. And that will typically be addressed via acupuncture or nutrition or supplemental supports. But that's always going to be based off of what resonates most for the individual in front of me and what they think is going to be doable for them and their care. That's a huge piece of it as well, because I think that it's really easy to get overwhelmed in these scenarios where you get this diagnosis and then you go in the chat rooms like you said earlier and everybody's recommending a different supplement and Mm -hmm. for the most part it's more so about well let's make sure you're not getting overwhelmed with all of these changes that you're making with all these things that you're taking but there's also the piece that some of the recommendations out there that that are being made by people who actually aren't qualified to make them could end up being harmful Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially like I mentioned previous, um, making sure that supplementation is playing nice with your fertility treatment. Like that's a big piece of things. And I think sometimes where uh, I guess like a bit of a concern comes from fertility clinics for individuals working with allied healthcare professionals is that they don't want you to be taking supplementation that's going to negatively interact with their fertility treatments. And that's why working with a, a professional who is has additional training in fertility or is works really closely with um, a fertility population can be really important because we want to support you and we want to we want to make sure that we're we're working with the fertility treatments you're already doing if that's the case uh, and not all supplementation is going to be safe or, or not interact with your fertility medications which I think is a really important piece of that of course could you give us an example of something that maybe you've seen in the past that a person was taking and it had the wrong effect or a negative effect or not the desired effect? Yeah, I see this a lot with herbs. Um, So I find some individuals will take, there's like a very common herb that's used to balance or regulate menstrual cycles called Vitex or chaste tree. And I see people taking that without telling their fertility clinic about it. Um, And oftentimes that can like impact hormones. And since we want hormones to be very strictly controlled in like an IVF or an IUI setting, we don't always want those herbal medications to be happening at the same time as hormonal medications. So Vitex can significantly impact like estrogen levels for some individuals or progesterone. And it it doesn't always result in the same effectiveness or success rates with IVF medications, for example. And so I think that's something just to be to be concerned about or to be aware of and make sure that you're really discussing all of your supplements and all of your herbal supports, not only with your naturopathic doctor, but also with your fertility clinic. Yeah, absolutely. Because herbs and supplements are strong, they work. And so mm-hmm. it's important to make sure that they're that you're only taking them when they're indicated and when they're appropriate for your individual uh, health picture. Yeah, absolutely. So if you could tell our listeners who are total beginners, let's say that they're just getting started maybe they're kind of on that precipice of maybe going to a fertility clinic, or maybe they have a diagnosis of unexplained infertility, but they haven't actually done anything with it yet. Do you have any advice to help them get started on the next steps? That's a great question. Um, I think after years of working with patients, uh, I think the best advice I could offer is to like start the assessment process early. Like you really don't have to wait the full 12 months to be referred to a fertility clinic to to learn more about your own health and fertility. So if you're at that space or in that timeline already, I think getting some initial assessment with a, a naturopathic doctor can be really helpful. Um, m- most individuals are going to be waiting that six to 12 months of actively trying to conceive before they can even begin the referral process to a fertility clinic, uh, which means that some people are waiting over a year, even 
before they even begin to realize that they might have fertility concerns. And so working with a naturopathic doctor or even your family doctor to get the assessment process started earlier can be like really informative and can also give you invaluable insight into what fertility concerns you might even want to start to work on before ever needing that referral to a fertility clinic to go through. I think the biggest piece here is like knowledge is power uh, and knowing more about your fertility status and hormonal health is like essential in helping you to get pregnant and perhaps even avoiding working with a fertility clinic in the first place. And fertility clinics are very important. They're a very big piece of the puzzle. Um, but I think most people would rather like work on trying to conceive on their own and not necessarily go through fertility treatments if they don't necessarily have to. And so I've had many patients who've conceived naturally while waiting on referrals to fertility clinics to go through. And I think the initial workup and assessment that we did together um, had been incredibly insightful and helpful for facilitating individualized care to make that happen. And I, that brings up a really important piece for me, which is that it, it kind of comes full circle back to the idea, that idea of body literacy and knowing how our bodies are meant to function in the first place. There's this common conversation that happens, at least in our culture. And I'll give you an example of, you know, people who menstruate. It's very common to hear, well, I have really painful periods, but that's normal. That's just me. That's my body. My mom had it. Everybody in my family has it. That's just my normal. Um, or, you know, my PMS is so bad that I can hardly function, but it's just, it's just part of, you know, being a woman in some cases. And I think that that kind of conversation can be harmful in some ways because it, it leads people to believe that those discomforts that they live with on an everyday basis are normal. And through our eyes, they're actually a big indication that there, there are things that are off, that are, there are things that are not functioning properly, and that there are things that they can be improved upon. I see so many patients that come in that have, you know, terrible, horrible, awful period pain where they're off work for a week every single month. And they just believe that that's totally normal. Whereas to me, that's a big red flag. And if they come in, and even if they've only been trying for a few months, I say, no, go and get a get an assessment. We're seeing evidence of pathology here. So let's figure that out sooner than later. Yeah, I think a big discussion I have with my patients is differentiating common versus normal. Um, so period pain of that degree is very common. Lots of people get it. Does that mean that's a normal marker of menstrual health and fertility? Like, no. <laughs> and so even just beginning to uh, like broach that sort of topic of fertility can be really helpful in working with a naturopathic doctor or a traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, just bringing to light that maybe these symptoms you're experiencing or your health status is not necessarily what's considered normal in the context of menstrual health can be really helpful. Um, yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here with us and sharing your wisdom and your experience. If people want to keep the conversation going with you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, they're probably able to find me most readily via my website, uh, which is www.jennamiller.com. Um, I'm also relatively active on Instagram, and you can find me there at Jenna Miller. Uh, and then find me in person uh, at the Toronto Reproductive Acupuncture Clinic, where I see patients. For sure. And in Ontario, I know that you do offer virtual sessions as well. So if somebody isn't necessarily in the greater Toronto area, they can always connect with you online for a virtual assessment. Um, even if somebody just wanted to, let's say, go through their blood work with you, they can certainly book an appointment to do that and, and go from there. I will make sure that I link all of this info in the show notes. And so people can connect with you that way. 
And again, I want to thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much. And yeah, hopefully we'll have you back again sometime. Thank you for having me. So that was my interview with Dr. Jenna. I know we often end up coming back to this on the podcast, but my main takeaway from our chat today was the need to prioritize body literacy and helping people understand the difference between common and normal. It is not normal to have excruciating period pain every month. It might be an indication of something underlying that can affect future fertility. Do not let your healthcare provider dismiss that pain as normal or something that you just have to deal with. Find somebody who's willing to look into it and offer solutions. It might be your medical doctor or it might be somebody like Dr. Jenna. There are answers out there. As promised, I'll link all of Dr. Jenna's info in the show notes so you can continue the conversation with her if you'd like. That's going to be it for me this week. I'll be back with a new episode next Wednesday. Until then, take care. Thank you for joining us on Fertility Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you loved our content today, please be sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with someone who you think might find it helpful. Don't forget to subscribe to be the first to be notified of new episodes. A new one comes out every Wednesday. To keep in touch with us and to continue the conversation, you can find us over on Instagram at Fertility Academy or join us on our private Facebook group, the Fertility Academy Community, 